Hey there, you're listening to Don't Be an Asshole, a spiritual guide. It's a podcast where we talk about life, music, and spirituality. As we get into this, I just want you to know that it's not about getting you to believe what I believe. It's about asking you to ask yourself why you believe what you believe. Hey there, everybody. It's time for another episode of Don't Be an A-Hole, a spiritual guide. Today is part four of my conversation with Ryan Beatty. And we, we've called it untethered because that's the word that he's used for this past year of his life. And it's something I really identify with. Sometimes we have to cut ties with parts of our life that we never thought we would. So that's what this whole conversation has been about leading up to this. Uh, today's the last part of our conversation. So I hope you enjoyed that. Before we get to the conversation with Ryan... Just wanted to let you know about a couple of things, uh, some things that are coming up. And as always, you can support this podcast by going to patron.podbean.com forward slash Eric Tomier. Link will be down below in the description and the show notes. Next week, I have a special episode. Um, it'll be a little bit longer because I just want to make it one episode. Uh, it's going to be all about mental health. And then after that, sometime down the road... I got Trevor coming back on the podcast, and we're going to talk about nutrition as a spiritual discipline. So there's some really cool things that I'm just thinking about down the road for this podcast. Next week, I'm really excited about bringing you this special episode. Uh, instead of breaking up the conversation into two or three different episodes, this is going to be one long episode uh, on the topic of mental health, something that... Well, I think every single person needs therapy. But beyond that, it's important to have these conversations, have these discussions. And so Victor Adams is going to be my guest next week. And we're just going to talk about mental health for a little while. Hopefully you'll tune into that. And uh, until then, enjoy part four of Untethered with Ryan Beatty. All right. Anchors that held me in a place that in reality I was not fitting anymore. Yeah. Uh, not, not just organizationally, but theologically. So much of my, I feel like I believe <laughs> that the Holy Spirit had been wanting to grow me in areas that I couldn't grow being a part of the assemblies of God and it, it not because of the AG, not because of who the AG is, but because of who the AG was to me. Right. And that I had created these barriers that uh, built fear into me to where if I, to where I wouldn't even allow myself to consider what God would be or could be doing outside of the barriers that I had built up because I was so afraid if I go there, I may lose my status in the AG. I may lose my identity in the AG. Thankfully in Thanksgiving, I went through what I went through four years earlier after going to city council. Yeah. That, that was actually a much more emotionally destructive 
situation and period of time than the actual leaving was. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the leaving was kind of like, well, of course I'm leaving. Yeah. I mean, look, look what I've been through the last four years and more. Yeah. Of course I'm leaving. The picture I got in my head, because we've talked about being untethered before. To me, I felt like I got untethered in a way that, I mean, you played tetherball growing up, like on the playground. Sure, yeah. Yeah. Um, I felt like I got untethered, not in like a, a an, like launching into orbit way, but I got the shit kicked out of me so hard that the rope broke, you know, yeah. and it just, just took me off. But here's the deal. We, when you're tethered, when you play tetherball, your orbit is around this skinny little pole and is only as long as that rope is. Right. And the thing about being untethered, it's, it feels dangerous and unsafe, but what you get to do is go into orbit around the earth, a much larger orbit. You're seeing yeah. something from a perspective and you're afraid that the gravity of the earth isn't going to keep you in orbit. When you first get untethered, you're just like, Oh crap. I'm, I'm now going to be just floating forever like that weird mirror prison of the evil people in Superman. Yeah, for real. Phantom zone. Phantom zone. You feel like you're going into the phantom zone, but in reality, you're going into a larger orbit. I used to work for a guy who set himself up as the center of the universe, essentially. Have you ever held up a quarter to the sun before and, and be like, this little small thing blocks out the size yeah. of the sun? And some people set themselves up in your life as the quarter between you and the sun. And you think of them as this huge giant thing. In reality, they're an insignificant thing as compared to the warmth and the power of the sun. Right. And I've had so much of that in my life where once I removed those obstacles, I was like, oh my God, look how much more beautiful the world is. Look how much more loving and kind these people are. Look how I had somebody, this is completely different, but someone once told me, imagine what Billy, uh, Billy Graham could have done if he was filled with the Holy spirit. <laughs> right. I've heard that. I don't know how many times. It's like, I think he was, I think yeah. he was filled with the Holy spirit. That's um, one of my, I, I have no problem walking away from theology that says that, uh, that speaking in tongues is the initial physical evidence of being filled with the Holy spirit because I'm like, uh, Billy Graham. You know, and, yeah, and, well, you know, and 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 I I don't want I don't want anybody who's listening to this to think that I I just blame the AG for all of my no. either, right? Because I I fully own that I I built up my association and relationship with the AG to an idolatrous place. Okay, for me, for yeah. me. I'm I'm just. Totally for me. I built it up to that and created um, a life in my mind that my whole forward momentum of life, my whole uh, upward mobility for the rest of my life was this AG track. I did that. Mm -hmm. The AG didn't do that to me. I did that. By untethering, one of the scary, scary things has been I don't have upward mobility that I know of anymore. Right. Now I now there's something someday when it's when it's right, mm -hmm. I'll I'll see it. But I but as somebody who naturally like I default to to being a dreamer and mm -hmm. to be forward looking 
what's the next thing? I don't have a next thing anymore. Right. Uh, and that, that scares the crap out of me because that's just not been who I am my whole life. What is so amazing is that I have so much wider a field of possibilities now. Yeah. Because I have removed that quarter from in front of the sun. And now I, I just, I have this much wider field of vision. Yeah. I can see it all. I I mean, I have the ability now when, when the time is right to see it all and to do, to do anything and to go anywhere. Yeah. So much of our life is just our perspective. There's a downtown LA is big. Yep. Um, But it sits just South of the San Gabriel mountains. And there's a lot of freeways in Los Angeles. So the word picture I'm going to paint for you, it's only going to make sense if you've seen it. Yeah. But the 10 freeway runs right next to downtown Los Angeles. And it also goes through where you are and it goes all the yep. way to the, the, yeah, I mean, the 10 freeways, you know, goes all the way across America, but it goes right by downtown Los Angeles. When you're on the 10 freeway, your perspective is that downtown LA is larger than the San Gabriel mountains because you're in the midst of downtown you're in the midst of the buildings of the concrete jungle of the scariness but if you're on the 105 freeway which is about seven or eight miles south of there going parallel to the 10 you're still going east west Mm -hmm. and you look to the north you see downtown as this little bitty thing next to the backdrop of these snow-capped mountains behind it right and so it makes the beauty of the world is much larger when you have some perspective of the, the smallness of the issue of downtown. And so once we get a perspective that God, that beauty, that the world is so much bigger than our shit, then we, we can free ourselves and be untethered from the things that, you know, like you said, you held that quarter up to the sun. It wasn't somebody else. You know, your district superintendent didn't go like, Ryan, don't look behind the curtain. You were like, I'm happy with the curtain. You know, I love this curtain. I was for a long time. I really was. But once we get a peek on the other side, we're never happy with the curtain again. We're never happy with that quarter again. And so moving through that, it's, uh, it's interesting to me that I'm, I usually save this for last, but you've answered it so well already is how you've maintained your faith. Cause I mean, there's a lot of crap in life. I mean, politically we're in a mess, you know, the world, you know, America is like as divided in my, in my entire life. I've never seen it this divided. Right. Uh, politically. I've never seen it this divided uh, intellectually. I, I've just, ne- I never have science and things are moving forward to where it looks like people don't need faith anymore, but we do, we need spirituality. We need to hold on to something. So how, how have you held on to a belief in God in spite of the fact that you've had people come against you the way they have your whole world is turned upside down theologically. So how how have you said, you know what, this is still real. This God is still real. This is still something that I'm going to, continue to uh, stand on well you know that's a that's, i think that's a really uh, fascinating question for me to think about because 
being untethered denominationally gives me the freedom to be untethered from how I've always thought about God as well. Okay. Because, because the, I'm now untethered from the people who taught me how to think about God. And one of the things that I have wrestled with the last couple of years has been, what do I really think about God? And what I came to think was that I've got to untether from that too. Mm-hmm. I've got to untether from what I thought about God. And I've got to look at God back through the lens of Jesus and look at Jesus and say, okay, that's God. Like, that's what God looks like. That's who God is. And and see God in the story of the prodigal son, mm-hmm. that, that the father was there and just present and, and loving and knew that his kid came back to him, not out of love, but out of desperation and was totally cool with it. Yeah. And the same with his older kid, he was totally cool with the, you know, his older kid, he was like, man, this is all yours, but if you're not going to participate, that's your choice. Mm -hmm. But this could be yours too. Yeah. And just realizing that there's a, there's this ever present, always loving God who is so excited every time I turn his way. And that is not the, the holiness God that I grew up believing in. I, I, I didn't, I grew up believing that God loved me enough to save me. Yeah. But not enough to keep me. And so he saved me, but now I got to do the work to stick around. Right. Which I just think is crazy now. Like it's just mm-hmm. nuts that the, the adoption into the family of God is so weak that it's like, that it's up to me. Right. I mean, come on. That's just insanity to me. Yeah. When you think about God's love, I mean, my kids are, are like, my kids are human beings. So that means they're assholes. Right. <laughs> so if, if my, my nine year old, if, if he had to work, for me to to stay my son and for me to love him, we wouldn't have a relationship right now. Right. (laughs) Yeah. I think every time that your son does something that pisses you off, like the, the theology that I grew up believing in was that every time I do something that pisses God off, I have now forfeit my sonship. Right. And I had better ask forgiveness real quick. Because if I get hit by a bus, I'm going to hell. Yeah, that's another thing. I don't know how many times some youth pastor or someone is like, if you get hit by a bus on the way out tonight, and I'm like, is there an epidemic of people being hit by buses that I'm not aware of? I I swear there are parts of this country that evidently it rains buses (laughs) to land on people and just, you know, people are running through traffic. If you leave this service tonight and get hit by a bus. Get hit by a bus. Bus, bus. Buses everywhere. I'm like, I live in Houston. We don't ride buses in Houston. Like, they're all over LA, but I mean, I don't know of anyone getting hit by them. Right. People get hit by trains in Houston. We don't get hit by buses. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, it's exactly, you know, so honestly, I was able to keep my faith in God because my pers- my perception and perspective of God has been able to change. I have been able to untether my 
understanding of God from this temperamental, impatient, petulant individual yeah. to a loving, patient, kind, gracious God who knows me at my worst and still loves me. And, and there's nothing I can do about that. Uh, and, and that has made all the difference for me. Yeah, man, that's, that's great. Cause with <laughs> these last couple of years, all these podcast interviews, I'm just basically looking for someone to help me stay in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm like, why do you still believe in God? <laughs> I mean, let me try to figure this out. Well, well, I don't, I don't still believe in the God I grew up with. Right. I don't like, I still believe in God because I don't believe in the God that I knew because that God sucked. Yeah. Like, like I have lived my life in constant fear and fear. I, I absolutely believe that fear is a tool of the enemy. Mm-hmm. That fear is never a it is never a tool of God and fear is not what God uses. God doesn't use fear. God doesn't use shame. Those two tools have been levied against me my whole life. Oh, hell shame self by the church, (laughs) by other Christians and by what I, who I thought God was. And now I'm at this place where I'm like, if it connotes shame or fear, it isn't God. Right. If you ask any 14-year-old boy what the biggest sin is, it's jerking off. That's right. Masturbation. And, and shame. The shame. shame. Hell. Yeah. yeah, man. I've, Absolutely. I, I've gone to hell four times today. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm 44 years old. I don't have the, uh, the, <laughs> the energy. I don't have the stamina to go to hell that many times. Today. No, no. <laughs> yeah. Sure don't. So, yeah. <laughs> and I, no, listen. How many times did we sit in boys Bible study group store. That's what every boy confessed of because they just knew they were going to hell because of it or, or, or whatever it was. So many different things um, that, that it was this fear of hell. And, and listen, I still believe in hell. I'm not sure completely what I believe hell is. Right. I know, I know I believe it, it happens here on earth quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, uh, but um, I just think that it's I, think uh, I, a no- I think it's a knowledge that you've been separated from God, whether that's eternal or not. Uh, my last uh, interviewee, uh, he's the host of the Son of a Pastor podcast. Right, I listen to those. Yeah, and he had this mindset that like John three sixteen, whosoever believes in God shall not perish. That means people who believe in God get eternal life. The people who don't they perish. They don't exist anymore. Mm. And I like that a lot more. You know, I, I don't know that uh, that's theologically correct, but I don't know that anybody has it a hundred percent. No, Jesus did. And that's about it. I mean, even the apostle Paul didn't write like, which is blasphemous to say, <clears throat> but in Romans, Paul says the things I want to do, I don't do. And the mm-hmm. things I don't want to do, I do. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm I'm at this crossroads consistently, and yeah. 
which is also where I was whenever I was, because Crossroads is the name of the church that I went to growing up. And I went Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday night prayer, Wednesday night. Oh, Lord. I was there so much. Didn't have didn't have time to sin. I was so so busy being filled with the things of God. Yeah. Or just being in church so much. Yeah. Well, you know, like my my therapist talks a lot about uh, the things that are unhealthy for us mm-hmm. um, often are salvation for a while. Right. <laughs> you know, like because they protect us from worse things. Right. And so there are worse things than being drugged to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and every other time. Right. Yeah. Uh, the difficult thing is the things that, that I caught by going to church all those times and great experiences a lot of those times. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's also where so much theology that ultimately was hurtful was, yeah. was, in, was in great that theology of shame and stuff. Yeah. The theology of shame, the fear and all that kind of stuff. Um, but, uh, you know, he's, I think he's right though, that, um, <laughs> that uh, some of the things that are that later in life or at times uh, ultimately are toxic to us protect us from other things. I mean, there's no greater example of that in all the Bible, I think, than Jonah and the whale mm-hmm. or Jonah and the great fish. The fish was actually God saving Jonah. Yeah. Because Jonah was thrown overboard to die. Yeah. And that fish was God's salvation. Now, did anybody want to stay in that fish? No. Did Jonah want to be in that fish? Three days in that fish, I would imagine I would I would not be thinking that fish was salvation anymore. Right. Um, but it was. And he was in the fish and it saved him for a period of time and it allowed him to go on and do other things. And so and so here we are, there that you know, <laughs> um looking back, a lot of toxic things got into me because of the way church was for me and, there, and, and, and I have so many wonderful memories of the people that I know. Mm-hmm. My, my pastor growing up is one of the kindest men. I mean, just one of the just most wonderful men you could ever know. Right. Um, and so saying that some toxic things got into me, I never want that to also that to be construed into a slight or a dig against him because he was just, Oh, absolutely. But, but still toxic crap got into me that has affected me to this day. Yeah. I, so many, it's not just the, I mean, we, we, we can't really separate where we received some of the things that were good and what some of the things that were bad because we were in so many things you know, the youth camp and Royal Rangers and the people that were there. There's some people that put bad things and some people who put good things, some people who put shame, some people who uh, brought life. My pastors were some of the greatest people I ever knew. Um, I loved my senior pastor at the church growing up. And it wasn't until I was an adult that I got to know him um, as a human being because I thought he was like a Kennedy because it was like one of those mega churches. Right. And it wasn't until he, he was, older than my, he was like my grandparents' age. And so, and just had a sharp business mind. So he had a ton of money, um, even though people didn't think pastors should have a ton of money, but it was a church of 6,000 people and 
he tied right. he tied 90% and still was a millionaire. So what are you going to do? Right? right. I didn't really understand his mindset until he invited me over to his house once and I was like, okay, that's weird. I'm going to go over to Pastor Schaefer's house and uh because I you know there's no there's no Dan, hey Dan, how you doing? You know, right. it was sure, of course. Yeah. So I walked, I, I, you know, drove in and, you know, parked and I, you know, knocked on the door and it's like this, you know, grand marble entryway, very, you know, Victorian. And I was like, oh gosh, I'm so nervous. And cause I was like 19, 20 years old and he invited me and like two other guys over just to hang out. And the first thing he does, he's like, Hey, do you guys want a pizza? I got a coupon in here somewhere. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, awesome. Good. Orders a pizza, uses the coupon, you know, and then from there on out, I'm just like, oh, he's just a guy. Yeah. A guy who loves God, who's really smart, but he's just a guy. And it really took that meeting for me to to really see that. And I think we put people on a pedestal. I thought the dude was like a Kennedy, you know, when I was like 15. <sighs> Yeah. yeah. Then when I was 19, 20 years old, I was like, oh, he's a, he's a guy. Uh, the associate pastor, Gary Bohannon, uh, one of the best teachers I've ever said under my entire life. Do I agree with everything these guys believed? No, absolutely not. But that's not because they were bad people. It's because they believed one way and my life has taken a different turn. And I and I've seen and experienced different things that have shaped my theology and my beliefs and my philosophies in a different way. And, and so it just made me where I'm like, okay, I don't know that I can keep paying dues to the assemblies of God anymore and keep signing those, that little piece of paper saying, I believe that all these things are true when I don't know that I do. Mm. And that's where it started is that I couldn't, I couldn't look at myself and go, yeah, it's okay. Cause they were like, well, just don't teach against it. And I'm like, well, I don't want to just not teach against it. I want to believe it if I'm going to sign my name to it. Right. And that was where it kind of started. I started pulling on some threads myself of my theology of, of what's true in the Bible. I believe it's all true, but it's, I don't believe it's all literal, you know? Yeah. And so I started having some real problems with, uh, with some of that too. And that really upset a few folks. I think the, the icing on the cake though, is whenever I started ending sermons with love God, love people and don't be an asshole. They were yeah, like, yeah. sayonara. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, that's, that's not okay in a, in a, in a holiness rooted fellowship to, to finish off your sermons that way. No. Yeah. But I mean, it was Chi Alpha. So it was, you know, <laughs> you know, it was college kids. So you got yeah. away with it. Yeah. Well, um, you know, there's a lot more. Actually, I would love to keep talking about this, but what I want to do is maybe in a few months do this again. Okay. Yeah. So let's talk about music for just a little bit because I don't think anything's more spiritual than music. And uh, whether, no matter what it is, what kind of music is spiritual. And Mm -hmm. I want to get that in to this episode. And then we'll do it again next time we talk. Awesome. Because... I, I don't know, man. Tonight was a little weird for, weird for me. So I, uh, I, this is my first time ever to do an interview where I'm not in the room with somebody. Mm, gotcha. So it, it was just a little bit weird for me, and uh, but I loved it, and I'm glad it was with you because you're easy to talk to. Sure, All right, man. Tell me about one song. 
that always takes you back to the same place. And let's uh, break that down a little bit. All right. So <laughs> the song I'm going to go with uh, of all songs is Ice Ice Baby by Vanilla Ice. Vanilla Ice! <laughs> and so um, so here, here's here's the every time so every time i hear ice ice baby which you know it's not like it's not like it pops up on the radio uh very often i mean most often if i'm listening to it it's because i intentionally sought it out yeah you you gotta spotify that thing these days (laughs) that's exactly right it's in my 90s jams (laughs) that's exactly right so whenever whenever i hear vanilla ice what I'm taken back to is I don't, I don't remember how old I was when it came out, but we were not allowed to have secular music in our house and it was not okay. And my buddy across the street had the vanilla ice tape. Uh, and so I, he let me borrow it, and so what I did was, because I knew I couldn't play it out loud in, in the house, in my room, was I snuck my mom's Walkman, <laughs> <laughs> and I put the cassette tape in the Walkman, and so I walk around the house or doing my, or hanging out in my room, listening to Ice Ice Baby on my mom's Walkman. The problem was I forgot to take the tape out when I got done listening to it. So my right, mom right. found the vanilla ice cassette in her Walkman and Oh, there was hell to pay that day. Man, that's, that's the <laughs> thing, man. That's the thing is, I mean, she probably looks back and goes like, Oh, that's, you know, anyone can listen to whatever. I mean, yes, she like, would never be upset about that today. All right. My song, Bohemian raps, Bohemian Rhapsody <laughs> oh, love by it. Queen. And I think almost everybody has the same memory of that song. Wayne's I have two set I that one, but one a couple of years before. Because Wayne's World came out in 1992, which is my senior year in high school. The thing, and I don't remember when Bohemian Rap City came out in the 70s, like the late 70s, some point. I haven't seen the movie yet. So uh I'm I haven't either. That. I really wanted to see it though. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm gonna see that. But here's my first memory of the song. It must have been 90, 1990. I was a sophomore in high school, and I heard it on the radio. I thought it – I didn't know what the word Rhapsody was. Mm. I, but Rhapsody is uh, a one-movement work that is episodic yet integrated, free-flowing in structure, featuring a range of highly contrasted moods, color, and tonality, blah, blah, blah. I heard rap city. Because it was the early day of rap. It was right. 1990, you know? I mean, like, yeah. So I was like, huh, interesting. And so I went home and I told my dad that I heard a brand new song called Bohemian Rhapsody. And he looked at me, he had the biggest bless your heart look on his face that I'd ever <laughs> seen in my life. I just felt so stupid when I found out the song was much older than it wasn't brand new in 1990. And it wasn't Rap City. It was Rhapsody. And I, you know, so I learned a new word and I was like, huh. Thank and you then, Queen, for expanding my vocabulary. Right. And then when Wayne's world came out and that epic, 
you know, you hear the whole song in the car, in that little car. Oh, so and great. yeah, that scene. And I also, there's a word, there's a little part in the middle of that scene that I always, I still use it to this day is when Garth takes a little paper cup and uh, I'll do that with any little cup. If I, if I have a little cup uh, in my hand at any time, I'm like, if you're going to spew, spew in this. <laughs> and so, and people just look at me confused because they don't have that. They don't have these old movies just stuck in their brain like I do. So, yeah. So we both, uh, I thought my song was from about the same time Vanilla Ice came out and yep. your song. So the early nineties, baby, right there. That's our life. That's our life. You know, early. All modern music, it's garbage. If it ha- if it happened after the late nineties, I don't want to listen to it. I'm kind of the same way, but I, most of my music is, uh, uh, sixties and seventies. Um, that's kind of where my sweet spot is, you know, from the Beatles uh, yeah. through uh, the Allman Brothers. You know, it's kind of my thing. And then in the 80s, I like Metallica and Guns N' Roses. And then there was like this resurgence of great music in the early 90s, as far as yeah. I was concerned. I sure. used to, when I, whenever I listen to any Pearl Jam, I think I ought to be in some burned out basement smoking weed. But... <laughs> Um, I haven't smoked weed since 1992, but every time anything off of Pearl Jam's album 10 comes on, it takes me back to, uh, to that. And I'm like, yep, I probably should not do that because those were right. probably not. Yeah, well, probably. I married a grunge kid from the Pacific Northwest. So right. we're a Nirvana family. I mean, yeah. Nir- Nirvana. Pearl Jam. Al- I saw Allison Chains in concert in '91. Oh, nice! Yeah, they opened up for Ozzy Osbourne. Wow! <laughs> yeah, at the uh, Zoo Amphitheater in Oklahoma City. Yeah, so Allison Chains, Chris Cornell is uh, got one of the greatest voices in rock history. Right. Uh, R.I.P. Chris Cornell. Anyway, hey, dude, I really appreciated you taking time for me tonight, having this conversation. And I'm going to edit this up nice and and tidy. And we're going to get two or three episodes out of this, I think. Yeah, I talk a lot. So, Oh, dude, I I love it. If I only get one episode out of somebody, it means it wasn't a great conversation. Mm -hmm. So uh, thank you so much for taking the time. I wish you nothing but success and luck in everything you're getting ready to do and everything you are doing. And hey, stay in touch, man. Love to. Thank you, Eric. I really appreciate it. Uh, I've had a good time. And uh, I'll come back whenever you want me to. All right. All right. Remember, kids, don't be an asshole. Right. Peace. Peace.